The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you have your Bible, you open to Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2. Last week, we kicked off the series with Proverbs 1, 1 to 7. And I used that official introduction to the book of Proverbs to kind of set up, you know, what is a proverb and who is Solomon and how does this book function and the genre of wisdom literature and the Bible? What do we expect to find in there? So we talked a little bit about that. It was a little bit more of an overview sermon, but I also wanted to set up this concept of the fear of the Lord, which can be something that we're unfamiliar with, but that continues to pop up again and again and again throughout the book. And so this is something that we're gonna see also uh, in chapter two. Uh, you are familiar with Proverbs, whether you know it or not. A proverb is a short kind of pithy saying that expresses some uh, general truth that people understand in a memorable way. You probably know a lot of Proverbs already, maybe not ones from the Bible. How about a doctor? A, a, uh, sorry, a doctor a day. That's the day full speaking. Uh, <laughs> an apple a day. I gave it away. What's it do? Keeps the doctor away. Maybe we should have had an apple yesterday. Better to be safe than what? Actions speak louder than... Yeah, you guys are good at this. You can catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. Yeah, okay, so you guys know a bunch of Proverbs. Uh, A bunch of these, they're just true-isms that we all can connect with that we experience on a day-to-day, especially if you're a parent, you drop these little truth nuggets on your children all day long. Many hands make light work. Strike while the iron is. Yeah, we could go on all day. Um, But oddly enough, a lot of the most powerful Proverbs that we find in chapters 10 to 29 of the book of Proverbs are ones you probably have not memorized. And so what I'd like to do in this series, we only have eight weeks, we could not exhaust the book of Proverbs, but I want to jump into sections of Proverbs 1 to 9, which consist of 10 fatherly appeals and four poems from or about Lady Wisdom. And so there's these 14 little sermons in there. We won't do all of them, but I want to jump around in them. And as we examine their content, I want to point out to you some memorable Proverbs for your consideration. And then as you just make Proverbs a regular part of your Bible reading or your study, I commend to you the practice of memorizing some of these Proverbs, particularly ones that speak to a situation that you are walking through. And uh, so that's what we're going to do. And so we, we, we're going to jump in at chapter 2 and verse 1, which means we hope we'll have officially skipped over two of these little sermons that uh, existed after verse 7 of chapter 1. And I'd like to go ahead and just read this proverb in chapter in its entirety. It's one unit. And then I want to take it apart for you and uh, also show you some places where the proverbs that exist in chapters 10 to 29 uh, pop up and recycle. And they're punchy and memorable. And I think that you'll benefit from remembering them. And let me just say too, if, uh, if you're here in second or third service and you're watching me on video, it's because I felt terrible and had to go home. So you guys, first service, you're guaranteed a live sermon. Aren't you so excited? You don't have to watch your video. I'm gonna try to do all three, but we'll see. We'll see. Proverbs chapter two, if you have your Bible, this is from the English Standard Version. And I'm using that primarily in the series because I was able to get those Proverbs journals the margin journals as a gift to everybody. If you didn't get one, and we have, do have a new box of them. I saw them in the office. I'll try to get them to the, the table out there so you can grab one if you didn't get one yet. We'd love for you to have one, but this is the English Standard Version. Proverbs chapter two, starting verse one. Here's what it says. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, If you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as 
for hidden treasure. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the saints, the way of his saints. Verse nine, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So in the same way, you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep the paths of the righteous for the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. God, we thank you for your word that's been read in our hearing. Lord, for its poetic nature and the way that it speaks to us. God, for the, the themes, the truths that it, that it offers to us. God, I pray this morning as we consider your word, that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts and minds. God, that you would convince us of the value of wisdom that it's worth searching for and seeking after. God, that we would be convinced that you possess it and are eager to give it to us. God, as we examine the benefits of wisdom and an understanding the fear of the Lord, God, I pray that you would radically shift the way we see the world, ourselves, our relationships, conventional wisdom, our own fears, and that we would grow in our relationship with you, that we would begin to experience your leadership, your protection, your guidance. God, I pray for every person in my hearing, Lord, that there would be, that there would be life given in the place of death, that there would be that there would be liberty offered in the place of bondage. God, that you would give the gift of peace. Lord, but there is disharmony. And God, that you would work prosperity for those who lack. Lord, all of this comes from your hand. And so we, we just open our hands and our hearts. We pray that you would give us minds to understand and hearts to receive. In Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. So we have uh, four small children, five to 12, and a regular part of our experience as parents is our children coming to us, bemoaning the loss of some important object that was seen just moments ago. I don't know if you've experienced this as a parent. I can't find my blankie. I think it's in the living room next to the sofa. I already looked there, right? And uh, we tell them, go look again. I'm sure that it's there. And we send them in to find their blankie or their toy or their schoolwork or a pencil or whatever it is that they're looking for. 
And uh, it, it's crazy to me how frequently they are incapable of seeing what's right in front of them. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Anybody else got? And then, of course, you have to stop what you're doing. You walk out and you find it precisely in the location where you directed them and you hold to them. Oh, I thought you meant the other sofa. You know, that's the kind of response that you get. You know, this is just the nature of, of childhood. In fact, the Hebrew word for fool or foolishness really is wrapped up in the concept of childishness. It has to do with kind of not really knowing how the world works, of making decisions and running after things that aren't actually important. And the goal of parents is to bring their children from foolishness to wisdom. This is what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to bring them out of thinking like children into thinking like adults, understanding the way in which the world works so they can operate within it for their highest and best outcome. And this is the kind of impulse that we find in each of these fatherly appeals that we see in chapters one all the way through to chapter nine. I broke them down this way. I know some of you guys are super Bible nerds and you wanna break this down too and you got your journal. And so here's my little breakdown of how I see these Proverbs work. And it's probably too small for you to make much sense of uh, in the auditorium presently, but I know some of you are gonna whip out your phone and take a little picture of that. And uh, if you don't get your phone out in time, uh, I'll have a copy, a PDF copy of the notes sent out in the weekly email, which you can also get if you stop by the Welcome Center, go to our website and uh, let us know you wanna hear from us. Um, as I mentioned, verses eight to 19 is the first of these fatherly appeals. And if I had to sum it up into a, a sentence, it would be, hey kid, don't join a gang. That's what, that's what it's about. Uh, don't join a gang. And if you live in suburban Volusia County, that may not be something you faced. Uh, but the reality is, is that a large percentage of young men and particularly fatherless young men live in dense urban areas where gang life is something that is appealed to uh, daily. And in fact, it's a big temptation and a place where they can find camaraderie, uh, brotherhood, acceptance, protection, and prosperity. And so while this may not immediately be something that stands out to you, for those who are in one of these situations, uh, fatherless and so on, this is actually a really important appeal. And I think it's an important one to start with. Uh, because it doesn't apply broadly to our church, our community in this time, I decided to jump over to chapter two. But it did remind me to bring up two things. One is I mentioned some statistics about fatherlessness on Father's Day a couple of weeks ago. You guys remember that? Um, and I, I overstated the positive impact of having a, a man around because the study I read said fatherlessness leads to these terrible outcomes. And the study also said that having a man, even if he wasn't a good man in the home, created a, a better set of outcomes. And I just wanted to I wanted to say, I'm sorry. I got a great gracious email from a single widowed mom in our church who reminded me that the way I say things hits different people in different ways. And as a dad trying to raise children, it's something that I wasn't clued into to think about the temptation of a woman who's living in an abusive environment with a man in the house and who's motivated for the good of her children to continue to bear with that abuse. And I would never want to send that signal. And so I just want to humble myself and say, I'm sorry. I don't see the world the way everybody does. And I want to thank that mom for communicating that to me. And I want to just tell everybody, it is never okay to stay in an abusive relationship. There's never a good reason for you to stay being physically or sexually abused, uh, even mentally, verbally abused. There's help to be found and uh, God will take care of your children. Do not subject yourself to that kind of abuse for some perceived beneficial outcome. That is not how this whole thing works, amen? amen? Second thing I wanna say is two weeks ago, Skip Simmons was here from No Longer Fatherless. We, we see fatherlessness as a problem and one we wanna solve. 
And so uh, several men from Christ Church and other churches throughout the area are trained to be mentors to young boys who have no father figure. And so Skip was here and he was delighted to see that seven men from our three services signed up to be a part of his uh, mentor training, which is tomorrow night. And uh, he texted me feverishly to let me know that he accidentally misplaced that list of seven men. And uh, he was like, who was on there? And so we were like remembering from having just scanned it briefly and trying to repopulate that. But uh, it's possible that you signed up and you haven't heard anything. And if that's you, Skip would love to connect with you, but he doesn't have your information anymore. So uh, we built that list back from memory. But um, if that's something that's interesting to you now, or if you're, if you're on that list and didn't hear anything, so would you stop by the welcome center on the way out and just let Missy know, and we'll make sure you get the information that you need. So Proverbs chapter two is one of these fatherly appeals. It begins with my son. And you'll recognize that uh, Proverbs is written using gender stereotypes. And so this is a father to a son. Uh, all of the allusions to the enticement, sexual temptation are uh, from, from women to men. But these things all run both ways. And so if you're a woman or a daughter or a mother, uh, this is meant to be applied to you also. In Proverbs chapter two, verses one to five, we get the value of wisdom. My son, and you'll see these if-then statements. Do you see them already? My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if, somebody say if. If you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will find and understand the fear of the Lord. You will find the knowledge of God. And this is just a true principle. Now I know this is true because some of you know a ridiculous amount of facts about really dumb things. Uh, how many of you guys are in fantasy football leagues? Come on now. How many of you, how many of you could know way too many things about classic cars or, or some kind of collectible? How many of you guys know stats and ages and weights of sports figures? Um, how many of you guys know all the lyrics to a whole genre of music and you could just kill it at karaoke? Raise your hand, come on. Because I know it's in the human spirit to dig up information about the things that we are passionate about. And it's not a burden. I know some of you guys hated history in school and then you came to be very interested in an ancestor that existed in one particular part of the American story. And then you became a, a, a professional as it related to that. You see, when we find ourselves interested in something, it is very easy to deep dive into that subject and to get amen. In fact, I thought it would be fun if we didn't have such a large crowd to hear some of the crazy things that you guys know too much about. I happen to know, I've had four 2004 to 2008 F-150s with both the 4.6 liter and the 5.4 liter engine. And I know way more about those trucks than anybody should who does not work on cars professionally because I've done all my own repairs. And at some point, I'm gonna just flush all that knowledge by buying a different model. But for now, I'm holding on, I'm hanging in there. And the same is true for wisdom. Um, when you begin to want it, to love it, to desire it, it's like anything else. You go after it. When you see its value, that is when you will begin to go deep diving into understanding everything about it. And this is when the Proverbs really will come alive to you. That's when you will understand the fear of the Lord. That's when you will find the knowledge of God. Too many of us are just laissez-faire about the Lord, about who he is, about what he says, about how wisdom works, about how the world works about what's going on around us and what are the solutions to it. When in fact, the eternal truth of God and God's very presence in his voice is, is speaking loudly for anyone who will incline their ear 
anyone who will deep dive in to discover the truth of meaning and how the world works. And so I want to I increase your appetite for the knowledge of God and understanding the fear of the Lord. Verse six tells us the reason why we know we'll find it. We might chase it because it's valuable, but we'll find it because it's the Lord who gives it. Look at verse six. For the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. God's got more of this stuff than you can handle. Isn't that awesome? I know some of you dads in the room, you feel like that. You're like, I've got, there's so much more where that came from, kid. You know, I could tell you stories for days. This is how God feels towards you too. He is not stingy and it is not a small amount. There is, there is wisdom stored up for ages for those who are upright, who are willing to follow after God, who, who put on the fear of the Lord. And he's a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Too many people get this idea that God is like cosmic Google. They're like, I need wisdom for life and I'm doing my own thing and I don't know what to do and I'm in a situation and then I'm opening up my Bible and I'm trying to find an answer to my specific problem and I can't find it and maybe it's in there and if God's got it, why won't he show me? And we have this depersonalized understanding of God and I love that Proverbs 2 blows that out of the water. It's not just that wisdom is valuable and out there unpersonified and available to you if you'll look for it. No, it comes from God. He is the giver of wisdom and he wants to have a conversation with you. He wants to reveal things to you. He wants to impart some of his character and his nature to you. He wants to be your guard. He wants to watch over you. Too many Christians are disconnected from a life-giving relationship with God, an ongoing relationship of prayer and Bible study and personal relationship with God. And we just look to God for answers. And it's dangerous too. I mean, you can be silly about this or serious, but I don't know how many people, you know, your wife are getting ready to go to a wedding and you're thinking, should I wear the pink tie or the blue tie? Let me just ask the Lord, you know? And you open up your Bible, like it's an encyclopedia and you turn over to put your finger down on Genesis 2.25. And the man and his wife were both naked and unashamed. You know? I mean, this could go awry. This is not how we treat God's word. It's, it's not just words to give you the answer to your question. The God of the universe made you and wants to know you. He knows what you're walking through. He knows what your fears are. He knows what motivates you. He knows what your ten temptations and tendencies are. He knows the situations that will, that will tempt you to fall away. And so we're coming to him to receive wisdom. We are coming to him to find protection. We are coming to him. And this is what the fear of the Lord is all about. It's about saying, you are God and I am not, but I hear you calling and I am seeking after you, knowing that you are gonna give me everything that I need. Proverbs 30, verse five comes to mind. This may be one you wanna memorize. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Isn't that great news? Our God is a storehouse of wisdom. He is a shield around those who trust him. He is your bodyguard and your waymaker. And when you know God that way, this is what you can expect. Verse nine, then you will understand righteousness, justice, and equity, every good path. Now, verse nine ought to hearken your memory to last week's sermon if you were here, because in chapter one and verse three, we read that purpose of wisdom was to receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. And those two of those three words have become buzzwords in our culture recently, justice and equity. Have you guys realized this? 
Justice, justice, justice. Social justice, racial justice, reparative justice, distributive justice, procedural justice, retributive justice, 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 justice. And justice in and of itself is a good thing. Can I get amen? It, it denotes fairness and equality. And I don't know if you've noticed recently, but the constant use of equality has given way to the use of equity instead. Have you noticed that little shift? But what I bet what most people haven't noticed is that these two words continue to pervade the public square separated from the concept of righteousness. And in fact, I would go so far as to say, if you begin to add a modifier to justice, what you're really doing is substituting a new righteousness, a new morality, a new system of ethics. And in fact, when you do that, your justice ends up being skewed and becoming no justice at all. See, God's justice doesn't need a modifier. Justice by its very nature is social. Do you realize that? If you are alone on a desert island, you need no judge. Do you realize this? Justice is social. The problem is is that when we add a modifier to justice, we are importing quietly and subtly a new description of what righteousness is. And we have, without our even noticing, replaced God's righteousness with a lesser moral structure. Oftentimes this morality is never talked about. It's not put out there as here's what's good and here's what's better and here's what's right and here's what's wrong. But there's a moral indignation that goes along with this. There's a lot of straw men and we go, this is obviously evil and everything that's in any way like it. And so there's a lot of jargon going on out there. And I'm I'm here to tell you in my experience, every single bit of the use of modifying justice really is driven uh, by a neo-Marxism that's just trying to break things down. It's only aimed at destroying what's present. And when that happens, uh, the power structures just go crazy. It doesn't achieve the very things that it's seeking out to. And I wanna just point to you that both in verse three of chapter one and verse nine of chapter two, it's important as we understand what justice and equity are, that they are always alongside of God's righteousness. Now, our founders understood this. I'm sure you've heard this quote before, but John Adams writing to a bunch of unruly soldiers who are carrying out the the just cause of the United States and yet acting in ways unbecoming of a soldier, he wrote in a 1798 letter, we have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Avarice or ambition, revenge or gallantry would break the strongest cords of our constitution as a whale goes through a net. He says, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of another. In another letter, he would write, the only foundation of a free constitution is pure virtue. And if this cannot be inspired into our people in greater measure than they have it now, they may change their rulers and the forms of government, but they will not obtain lasting liberty. So I would urge you to consider when justice is pushed forward as something that you should work towards, agree with, ask yourself the question, where's the righteousness behind this justice? Where's the righteousness between behind this equity. Now, the good news is that God is just in his very nature. And he is the one, you wanna talk about, you wanna talk about equity, diversity, inclusion. He's the most inclusive being that exists because he wants everybody. Can I get amen? 
He actually designed this whole world so that there would be diversity. And he claims to build a people for himself of every tribe and tongue and nation and people. And that's where this whole thing is going. Diversity is kind of his thing. Can I get amen? And equity, he's the God of fairness. All of us will stand before him and give an account for what we have done in the body. He is the judge and his righteousness is the rule. And if anybody tries to push an equity or a justice on you that's disconnected from God's righteousness, reject it flatly. Because these three things must go together. Consider these Proverbs for your memorization. Proverbs 16, 11. Adjust balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. Proverbs 22, 2. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. How many of you guys know the little proverb, life's not fair? You guys try telling that to your children? Well, she got to do it when she was 12. Why do I have to wait till I'm 13? Because she's not you, right? All things are not equal, are they? But equality is not about making everything equal. Equality is about treating everybody with the same dignity. You know, we're not all the same and we don't all start from the same place, but it doesn't mean that we have to rearrange everything to make sure everybody has equal outcomes as though that's justice. God's not concerned with whether you started poor or rich. He's concerned with what you do with what you have. And in your doing is where righteousness, justice, and equity will be seen. Proverbs 28.5, evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. Look back to verse nine. Then you will understand righteousness, justice, and equity. When you've Looked for it, searched for it till you found it, received it from God. And every good path. Four, and there's these four things mentioned. For wisdom will come into your heart. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. And understanding will guard you. These four things, I love how personal they are. This is not just general principles. Generally accepted principles, which I learned about in my accounting class that I hated. Generally accepted accounting principles, gap. This is not just the way in which the world works. God wants to make a deposit of his wisdom into your heart. God wants to give his righteousness on the inside of your soul. God wants knowledge to be pleasant on the inside of you. He wants you to have discretion that comes from understanding righteousness, justice, and equity. He wants you to have an understanding that guards you and protects your life. And then he gives two categories of potential danger from evil men and from evil women. Look at verse 12, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. You may remember this if you've been a local resident for any length of time, but in April of 1998, three Maryland spring breakers uh, were violently attacked and stabbed. Two of them died, and one of them survived being stabbed 17 times. This happened in a condo at the end of 16th Avenue in New Smyrna Beach. One of the men who was found guilty of participating in that attack was a young man who I was close childhood friends with and lived across the street from me. The moment before this attack took place, the five men boys, really, teenagers, who carried out this atrocity, stopped in front of my house and invited my little brother to get in the car with them to enact revenge for a fight that had happened earlier in the day. 
And every one of those boys in that car ended up in prison for at least five years. Two of them are still doing a life sentence and one ended his own life last year. You just never know what evil is about to befall you. Do you realize this? You never know what one choice is gonna do to the rest of the course of your life. But if you trust the Lord and walk with him and listen to what he says, you will find yourself making a million right little choices that lead you on a path to life, liberty, peace, and prosperity. The same can be true for the way succumbing to the temptation of an adulteress, an evil woman, a forbidden woman, as mentioned in verse 16, can radically change the course of your life, can destroy your marriage, your relationship with your children, your career. And this goes for both men and women. And so we are not walking through a safe world and we need a God who stands over us as guard, as watchman, to direct us, to lead us, to get his wisdom and understanding deep down into our hearts. If you skip down to verse 20, the conclusion of this appetite for wisdom and this work towards receiving it comes out. Look at verse 20. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Of the man that runs after the foreign woman in verse 18, it says, they will not regain the paths of life. Now, in this series, we're talking a lot about the way the world works, good choices and bad choices, and the way that your life can benefit from trusting God and following after him. This is the fear of the Lord. This will result in life, liberty, peace, and prosperity, but it can also be ignored and lead towards death and destruction, towards bondage and captivity, towards the snare as the as the Proverbs writer continues to use. It can break down your peace and bring nothing but violence and animosity and disharmony, and it can impoverish you. And so here we have these two paths. Now, the reality is, is these choices have definite negative impacts. And some of you are here right now and you're aware of the bad choices you've made and the cost that that's had on your own life. Never again to regain the path of life. But I have to end with good news. Because while these truths are real and they are held out for us to make the right choice, to incline our ear towards God, to receive from Him, to look to Him for wisdom and understanding, to, to look for it, to totally nerd out on trying to find wisdom, to know everything there is to know, you will receive from God everything He wants to give you. But what's better news than that is no matter where you're starting, what you've experienced, what bad choices you've made, or what repercussions you've experienced from your bad choices, God has made a way for you where there was no way. Do you know that? God has made a way for those who are living out the course of their life less than it could have been, but going somewhere better than it ever should have been. When Jesus, on the night of his death, he looked to his disciples and he says, you can't go where I'm going. And they say, where are you going? He said, you know the way. And they say, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? What did he say? I am the way and the truth and the life. 
and no one comes to the Father except through me. Brothers and sisters, we have a better invitation than just to understand and receive wisdom from God's hand. We have better news than just to walk through our lives and experience God's protection, his guarding, his way making for us. The news that we all begin with is that God loves us and died for us, that we might live with him forever. And he wants to pick us up out of the miry bog and set our feet upon a rock. He wants to make our paths straight. He wants to bring us from where we've been and all the ways we've screwed up. And he wants to bring us safely home. I wonder this morning if you will choose to put your trust in the God who died so you could live, who was crushed so that you could be set free, who was made an enemy so that you could have peace and who was impoverished so you could experience prosperity. A day is coming when some humans will be established in God's new world and some will be rooted out, plucked out and discarded. And the only difference will be those who put their trust in Jesus, who chose to take God at his word, who embodied the fear of the Lord, who lived a life looking to God for wisdom and direction and experienced a God who kept you and guarded you and watched over you and created your path. I love that we, we, serve, we serve a savior and a high priest who is like none other. The author of the letter to the Hebrews said it this way, compared Jesus to the priesthood of dying Levites. They just all had to keep making atonement for themselves and they got to die and be replaced and die and be replaced. But Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Therefore, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And isn't it good news that no matter how bad we mess it up, we have a Jesus that will come to our rescue. That no matter how many times we didn't listen, we've got a Jesus that will come to save us. That no matter how far to the end of our rope we get, there's always hope if we will turn to him in repentance and faith. He is the one who establishes our way. And he is the same God who wants to give you the wisdom and understanding that you need to protect you and guard you. And as you continue to study the Proverbs on your own, I pray that you will start by going to Jesus. It's not about you making all the right choices, not getting in that car, or escaping that terrible relationship. It's about you being rescued, redeemed, restored, and forgiven. To have your feet set on a narrow way and to follow the one who, only one, who can lead you safely home, amen? God, I pray for myself and every person in my hearing. Lord, I pray that, that we would find in your son Jesus the way. Lord, that we would hear wisdom calling out to us and that we would search for it like silver and hidden treasure. And God, we would receive from your hand wisdom for our hearts, understanding for our souls, knowledge for living. God, I pray that as we respond to your offers of wisdom, salvation, and deliverance, prosperity, God, that Jesus would be lifted up and that we would share this good news of great joy for all people. God, help us to discern what true justice and equity look like. God, help us to be people who put forward your righteousness, your virtue, your morality, and we hold that up against versions of justice and equity in our world. And God, I pray that we would be those who find wisdom and those who share wisdom. God, I pray for any person in my hearing that does not know you or have not received your gift of salvation in Jesus. God, that as they hear you calling them out and experience you 
writing in their heart and in their mind that this is true and this is for them, that they would give themselves completely to you with faith and repentance and that you would save them. God, we thank you for all that you are doing. We commit these words to our hearts and we ask that you would water this seed, that it would be fruitful in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen, amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for putting up with my nasally voice and my Dayquil faux pas. Have an awesome week. We look forward to seeing you next week, hopefully healthy and sound. Amen? God bless you.